Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about our Unabridged Book Club's pick of the month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics. To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, Unabridged listeners, this is Ashley, and I am here today with a special bonus episode. Um, following up on Laurie Halls Anderson's Highlights episode, we just wanted to take some time. We felt like what is so powerful about Anderson's work is the doorways that she opens to having hard conversations with kids about sexual trauma, sexual assault, and just generally speaking up, standing out, um, shouting out for yourself. And so we wanted to follow that up with something that we think is really useful for listeners. I have a daughter in preschool and at her school, she was really fortunate to have somebody come, and we have her here today. Jess Ballack works with the Collins Center here in our area, and that center works on helping, well, she can kind of explain better what they do, but what she did that was really great for our family is she came and spoke with both the parents and then had several classes with the students that were age-appropriate educational lessons that really helped them learn more about their bodies and helped give them, I just felt like it was really great because it is kind of like sex education, but for preschool children. And I felt like I learned a lot. And so I just asked her if she would take a few minutes to just share some tips with us um, that we can take away as teachers, as readers, as educators, um, and as parents that we can better support our kids. So yeah, this is Jess. Yeah, thank you for having me. So just to give sort of a little context to listeners about who the Collins Center is, we are a nonprofit that was established here in Harrisonburg back in 1988, and we are the Sexual Assault Crisis Response Center for Harrisonburg and Rockingham County, as well as the Child Advocacy Center. And so what that means is that we work very closely with Child Protective Services, law enforcement, the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, and a couple of other key players in our community to collaboratively address child sexual abuse in Harrisonburg, Rockingham. So that is sort of the lens that we um, that we bring. And we have four core areas of service, of course, our Child Advocacy Center. We do have counselors here on staff. We provide crisis services. And we also have um, community education programs, which you were talking a little bit about Care for Kids, which is the, the program that I was offering when I came to speak with the parent group and the children, which is, it's such a wonderful curriculum because it does, it educates its... Um, kind of the earliest form of sexuality education. And sometimes that can make parents a little bit afraid when they think about sexuality education for their very young children. It's typically a program that I offer in classrooms with three, four, and five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But we know that sexuality has so many different facets to it, and it begins from the time that we're born, and we are always growing and learning as humans in regards to our sexuality throughout pretty much our whole lives. And for children so young, educating about their bodies and about healthy relational boundaries um, is so important. And those, those lessons really lay the foundation for the sexuality education that they'll get as they continue to mature, begin to go through puberty, develop romantic relationships, all of that that comes with um, 
so yeah, we talk about bodies and babies touching and asking for help and all sorts of other different topics through that Care for Kids program that really just bolster protective factors in that child's life that would prevent child sexual abuse from occurring. Yeah, so something that struck me was just when you spoke with the parents, you outlined very simply some of the ways that this program is a bit different in its approach from the traditional ways of approaching that kind of education. So I wondered if you wanted to highlight a couple of those things, because I think that a lot of our listeners certainly are going to be more familiar with the kind of more traditional approach. And so just like what you have found is important when we think about centering ourselves, what are some things that are different and the way we're trying to help kids today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I usually talk about a few different traditional prevention messages that I know I certainly received when I was a child and that, you know, some children are likely still sort of receiving from, from caregivers in their life. And we talk about how sort of these concepts of stranger danger are really not terribly useful when it comes to child sexual abuse. Um, Those incidences do happen and they are often the most, you know, risky and and dangerous for that child. But we know that about 90% of children who are sexually abused know their offender. And this is going to be a person that exists inside of this child's safe world. you know, 40 to 50 percent, depending, you know, perhaps on the study that you're reading, would indicate that family members would be the abusers in those instances. So these are people that really exist close in the most intimate circles of this child's life. Could be um, another sibling or a cousin, a family friend, a coach, a teacher, a youth leader, a pastor, etc. So we know that's the relational context in which these types of um, these types of crimes against children are occurring. So stranger danger is not necessarily always useful to um, to a parent or to or to the child mm-hmm. in terms of assessing risk in in that sort of situation. So we do talk about that. Uh, we also talk about how so many of these traditional messages will put, often, put the onus of protection on the child. Messages like, don't let anyone touch your private parts. Now, that can still be useful. The core of that messaging is still very useful to children. For example, during the Care for Kids session, when we talk about touching, we talk about how people are not to touch our bodies without our consent. Um, that's not okay. We can always say no to touching and things along those lines. But if don't let anyone touch your private parts is the only messaging that that child is receiving, they are assuming the responsibility for their own protection. Yeah, I thought that was really powerful when you shared that with the parents because I think that we say those things with the child's best interest in mind, Mm -hmm. but sadly you work with kids who have had those experiences. And so then if that's the message, then they feel that they've done something wrong. And that made a lot of sense to me that that was, I just never followed that to its logical conclusion that if something does go wrong and the child thinks that they've done something wrong, then they're less likely to share the incident. And then that's terrifying. Absolutely. That whole, the language or the, the thought process that a child might have of, okay, so I've been told don't let this person or don't let anyone, you know, touch your private parts. And then that happened. Well, that's my fault because I let the thing happen that they told me to not let happen. 
I'm going to get in trouble for this. And that really just compounds some of, you know, the, the shame and the guilt and those, those feelings that naturally would accompany any experience of child sexual abuse. It can worsen them and honestly might even prevent that child from talking about it. Because um, the fear of getting into trouble with mom and dad will prevent kids from, from talking about, you know, feeling safe and, and lots of other things because they don't want to upset mom and dad. Kids are keenly aware of, mm-hmm. of, of that. So Yeah. Yeah, I thought that mm-hmm. was a really powerful message. And I think mm-hmm. something else that you talked about that I think is helpful for us to consider is what you said about the naming and just understanding sort of having control over mm-hmm. the terms for your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought all that was really powerful. So I don't know if you want to speak on, just even with little kids, terminology yeah. and how that matters. Absolutely. Terminology is so important. You know, children are infinitely curious creatures, and they're curious about their bodies. And developmentally speaking, they they are they experience curiosity about their bodies, and that's very natural. And so to be able to equip them with the language that they need to very specifically explain, you know, this is my vagina, this is my penis, these are my breasts, etc., really empowers them. And it, it does so many wonderful things. Um, you know, hopefully not, but should child, you know, sexual abuse be occurring in a child's life, again, they have the language to talk about what happened to them. It also normalizes talking about these body parts and sort of counteracts the um, like the shameful or the dirty or the we don't talk about those parts of the bodies, that's not polite, sort of that narrative that exists. Um, and children are not afraid of talking about bodies. It doesn't make them uncomfortable unless an adult's made them uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about body parts already. Mm-hmm. It makes them feel confident and empowers them. And so it's really just... It's just good for them. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because again, I think that what it, what this experience helped me realize is all the narratives that are kind of the undercurrent of a lot of our culture in mm-hmm. American society, mm-hmm. and how those play a role even when we don't always think about the implications of them. So yeah, it just helps me to think about that stuff from early on with kids, mm-hmm. and then thinking about teachers. And our opportunity in classrooms mm-hmm. to have those conversations, I think, you know, I, I just, I hadn't thought a whole lot about some of the aspects of rape culture connecting to some of these mainstream messages that we unfortunately, I mean, I think that speak and shout both mm-hmm. are so much about finding the voice mm-hmm. to say the right. trauma that has occurred. Mm-hmm. And while I know that that is a thing, we don't always think about how we can be active in helping to change that situation mm-hmm. and help people feel empowered to be able to speak up. Absolutely. And that education starts so young, which is, you know, another one of the reasons that I that I really love the Care for Kids program. But to be able to, if you could imagine a child who knows about their body, who knows about healthy relational boundaries, around touching, etc., things like that, and who have received positive reinforcement from their parents regarding, you know, um, messages about their own development, and then they have, you know, something horrible is done to them, how much different that might be for that child to then be able to disclose, to feel comfortable disclosing, or perhaps not having anything happen to them at all. And so it's just so important to begin that education early and again children are not afraid of that information they are curious they want to know it and it empowers them yeah 
That's great. I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about some books. I know that you all use them a lot as references, but again, maybe some of the ones that people think of might not be the most current best choices. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, what's out there that you use and that you think is helpful for people to have available to kids? Yeah. So we have um, a few books. I have them here with me. And they're a series, well, I, I would call them a series. They are sort of separate from one another, but they're by the same author, Roby Harris. And these books have actually been around for quite a while. Um, two of them that I have in my hand are the 20th and then 15th anniversary editions. And I think that it just, it, they have been around a long time, but may not be everyone's mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I think that just sort of speaks to how powerful it is when we have these you know, public narratives of, no, that's not polite. We don't talk about that. Um, that's yeah, when not for you us said the understand. author, I had never even heard of her. And I thought that was interesting because, of course, I on on our podcast, we have not read all things. Right. <laughs> but we are somewhat versed right. in people who are commonly used in the classroom. And I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, I have no idea who this person is. So Yeah, Roby Harris is wonderful. Um, I believe that her roots are also in early childhood education. And um, I think she started authoring children's books perhaps back in the 70s. I can't remember when exactly she wrote these, but I have three titles here with me. The first is called It's Not the Stork, a book about girls, boys, babies, bodies, families, and friends. And that is for ages four and up. The second in this series is called It's So Amazing, a book about eggs, sperm, birth, babies, and families. And that's for age seven and up. And then I believe It's Perfectly Normal is the third book that I have with me. And that's about changing bodies, growing up, sex, and sexual health. And that's for ages 10 and up. I believe that this was her first Mm -hmm. book um, sort of in this lineup. And they all touch more or less on the same topics. It's really about our bodies and how babies are born and how we grow and develop. But naturally, since they are authored for different age groups, that knowledge will build on one another. And it talks about, you know, the most sort of um, advanced version, it's perfectly normal, talks about all different sorts of things from our bodies to um, how babies are born, how babies are conceived, what happens during pregnancy, what happens to your body as you go during Uh, grow during puberty and how puberty has to happen before a man's body or a woman's body can make a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I also love these books because as they sort of go up their tier, you know, in terms of the age groups with which they're written for, they introduce ideas like love and relationships. And I believe them to be inclusive. They talk about all different types of families, families um, where a mom and a mom are the parents, where dads and a dad and a dad are the parents. Also about how some babies are adopted into families and that's how parents will get their babies. And I just, I appreciate the normalization Mm -hmm. of all of that in these and the illustrations in these books are so beautiful they're illustrated by i believe um an irish artist michael emberly and you have another thing that i truly love about these books are there some characters Uh, you have a couple of narrators throughout all of these series the bird and the bee and they are learning together and having conversations with one another about these topics so you have this wonderful sort of conversation happening between these two narrators who are learning about this with you as you go through the book and it's just they're really fabulous i can't recommend them enough um and 
these are wonderful to start, you know, as early as you can with kids. It's much more in-depth than our Care for Kids program. We're a little bit limited in that program because we only have 45 minutes with children mm -hmm. in the classroom for six lessons. But these, I encourage parents um, to bring into their home and to revisit with their kids from time to time and to, you know, approach these topics as, as children continue to develop. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's what I think that what we find so powerful about books in the classroom is that it opens up the conversation. It gives mm -hmm. kids a space to ask questions mm -hmm. and learn. And I think that often when it comes to sexuality, mm -hmm. Because it is uncomfortable for adults, mm -hmm. they, we don't know how to start the conversation. But that, but certainly, if kids feel that, then they aren't going to bring up the conversation, even if they're desperate to know something. Absolutely. So I think it goes back to that, you know, how do we empower them with the right knowledge? Mm -hmm. And that's something else that Laurie Hall Anderson has been speaking about, is just that now with the internet and pornography and the access to that, that if we don't educate kids about normal relationships and healthy relationships mm -hmm. and things like consent mm -hmm. then what they're seeing mm -hmm. is exactly what it promotes these ideas that are counter to the kinds of healthy relationships that we want them to have and so I think you know that is something for us to consider that they're going to seek out the information oh yes so if we don't provide <laughs> it they're going to look for it exactly you want to be the source <laughs> from which they get all of this information um you know you can instill your own family's values and answer questions um, as they come up for your kids with, if you're facilitating these conversations and you're right. With the amount of access that children have to information, they are seeking it out on their own. That is something that we see um, see here at our, at our Child Advocacy Center. And yeah, like I said, kids want to know this stuff and they will seek it out on their own if they're not getting those conversations at home. And what they find in our media and, you know, in pornography is not what we want to promote mm -hmm. and in fact it can it can be really counterintuitive to healthy development it is counterintuitive mm -hmm. to healthy development and that's that's not what we want our kids to be learning right yeah, yeah and I think um, I don't know if you wanted to speak to to kind of wrap up here I didn't know if you wanted to speak to the types of messages that you try to instill in all of your lessons. Because I remember that when you spoke with the parents, you were kind of saying that we cover these different topics, mm -hmm. but the threads are mm -hmm. these things, which are what you think kids need. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, Care for Kids is structured into six 45-minute lessons, and we talk about bodies and then babies and then feelings, and then I believe, or yes, bodies, babies, feelings, touching, bedtime and bath time, and then asking for help. And some of the key messages from each of those lessons, I do try and sort of interweave throughout all of the lessons that I'm doing with them. You know, if the opportunity presents itself just for integration and reinforcement and things like that. But our bodies are good and special. They're deserving of care and respect. Boys and girls have many parts that are the same, but they have some parts that are different, and those are our private parts. A boy's private part is called a penis, a girl's private part is called a vagina or a vulva, and a girl has an additional private part on her chest called breasts. We talk about the body very matter-of-factly. And again, these parts are good and special and deserving of care and respect. And actually, they're so special that we keep them covered, which is why we wear clothing and when we wear bathing suits and things like that. Um, babies, the lesson on babies is really about fostering empathy and building respect and care for one another. 
Um, we talk a lot about how babies need help with lots of things. Naturally, they can't do things by themselves. So babies do need help with their bodies from adults. But what are the appropriate ways to help babies with their bodies? We don't play with their private parts because private parts are not for other people to play with. Those parts of the body are just for us. Um, similar to touching, you know, I was talking a little bit about earlier, is sometimes we might be okay with people touching our bodies and sometimes we might not. And that's okay because we feel differently depending on the day. We can always say no to touching. Sometimes our parents or our doctors may need to help us with our bodies, but we can always say if we are uncomfortable, it is always okay to say that. Mm -hmm. In regards to our feelings, we uh, talk about happy, sad, you know, um, Kids like to shout out all the different things. Sometimes I feel grossed out. You know, they give some pretty funny answers. Um, but the feeling that we are sure to introduce is this concept of mixed up. Mixed up might be when you're feeling unsure or maybe you're a little worried, but you're also feeling kind of scared, but you're also still kind of okay. Like you sort of have a myriad of emotions that are happening. You might be feeling lots of different things at once, or you may just really not know how you feel. And that's okay, because sometimes we feel that way in life. And it is always okay to ask a trusted adult when we feel that way and to talk about how we feel. Emotional intelligence is so important for, for everyone. And to begin to teach children about being intuitive with our feelings and being able to talk through those feelings mm -hmm. um, is something, it's feeling, I'm super biased, feelings is my favorite lesson. Well, I, <laughs> I will say, kids. so my daughter, internalize that really well and she came home and she said for example I feel mixed up when I'm really happy when she has a younger sister I'm really happy when she wants to play with me but I'm sad when she pulls my hair mm -hmm. so it was I mean that I thought that was great that she really understood that her overwhelming feeling is mm -hmm. that she's so happy to be playing together mm -hmm. but then when somebody does something you don't like mm -hmm. you also feel yeah this other feeling yeah. that is negative. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's exactly it. And I do think that's hard. I had never heard her say something like that before. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was her first time to think about, of, of course, we have those conflicting emotions, but it goes back to having mm -hmm. to help kids learn to trust that when something is not going right, mm -hmm. they're going to have some feelings that give them that, but they may not all be this negative feeling. Exactly. And so I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm so glad that, you know, she was able to, tell you that at home. Um, yeah, children children will feel lots of different feelings all at once, normalizing that, giving them the vocabulary to be able to talk about it, and then asking them questions about it, facilitating conversation. That is like fertilizer for their brain development. Mm -hmm. Their neurons are firing, you know, on all cylinders in their brain when they have these conversations about, well, what makes you feel that way? Can you tell me a little bit more? And so that just, that it, that's such a great practice. I'm so glad that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, she had a great experience and I just felt like it did. It is unusual. It was unusual to get the letter that mm -hmm. said that there was going to be sexuality education right. at the preschool. <laughs> and again, I mean, we use the terminology at home. We're very open, but we just hadn't thought about introducing that but it mm -hmm. so enriched her experience this year mm -hmm. and so yeah I just appreciate you taking the time to share Always, with our yeah. listeners some of those tips because I do think when we were reading the books for Anderson and I've read others that are accounts of trauma mm -hmm. that we're always think I'm always thinking what can we do to shift some of this to shift the culture mm -hmm. because we can't prevent all things Mm -hmm. But we can help people get better support. We can help, in a lot of s senses, try to help prevent some of 
what's happening. And so, I mean, I think it is great to think about yeah. their role. And then I love, I love what you said about the babies. And I, I remember you seeing this about adults not needing help from children also, but like where you're Mm -hmm. talking, you're talking to them as like an older sibling Mm -hmm. about the not playing with the private parts Mm -hmm. or those kinds of things that again, we wouldn't necessarily, I'm not sure that a lot of parents think to say Mm -hmm. that to a child, Mm -hmm. but if they're helping change their diaper or dry off or in the bath time, exactly. You want kids early on to be learning Mm -hmm. both sides of it, Mm -hmm. both the, you know, what would be, um, the side of feeling kind of defenseless and Mm -hmm. also not being aggressive Mm -hmm. or inappropriate or hurtful towards somebody else's body. So I think, yeah, trying Mm -hmm. to get them to help see both sides is really important. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Jess. We really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, listeners, we will link in the show notes the books that she recommended and any additional resources that we can share with you about this important topic. So thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at UnabridgedPod, or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com, or on our Patreon page. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light. Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.